Welcome into the Extra Base Podcast, the IUS TV Baseball Podcast. My name is Matt Cohen. Alongside me, at seasoned baseball reporter Austin Matricardi. And baseball season's just a few days away. We're here breaking down the season, getting ready to go. Got Memphis coming up on Friday for IU as the season finally gets underway in a cold, rainy day in Bloomington. Hoosiers getting out of town, getting some warmer weather. They'll have a lot of that throughout the early part of the season. But today we're going to be talking about looking at this roster as a whole, uh, looking at some of the first few games of the season, looking at guys who we think are going to have an impact. And But overall, Austin, how are you feeling about the season coming up? Uh, this is going to be an interesting season because obviously it's the first year of the Mercer era, but there's a really strong mix of young guys, old guys. I think there's a lot of talent on this team. I think they're kind of an unknown quantity around the country right now, so it's going to be interesting to see how they perform. So I think touching on the unknown quantity, um, a lot of these preseason polls, which I have for some terrible reason gone and retweeted all of them, um, I don't think a single one has had a single vote for IU in them. Um, I don't know if that's something that should be too surprising considering the amount of talent that left the MLB draft last year, but where do you think this team fits right now in the national picture? We look see teams like Michigan and Minnesota are kind of the ones that are at least the Big Ten teams that have been consistently in the rankings. I, I think that nationally right now a lot of people are looking at this Hoosier team as Somebody that you know you're expecting to go to the tournament probably, they'll be a good team, but they won't be in the race to host a regional. They probably are more of a three seed than a two seed right now, according to some people. Uh, I think that that's what you're looking at as far as the national perception of the Hoosiers. So I want to just quickly before we get into some of the the, the positions on this team, talk a little bit about how the Big Ten kind of figures to play out this season, especially based on a lot of these preseason polls. I think I use generally the third team in the Big Ten. A lot of people would say uh, probably Michigan's, I would say, is probably the heavy favorite to win the Big Ten right now. I think I'm still a Minnesota guy. Just with that rotation, it's going to be tough to beat them. Um, but then I think I probably slots in third after Minnesota. Illinois maybe fourth. I think Michigan, Minnesota, Indiana should be the teams that are pushing for NCAA tournament spots. Illinois may push for one at the end. I think Purdue and Ohio State, the two other teams that made the tournament last year, will maybe fight around. I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year, and IU avoids both of them. I mean, I guess they play Purdue technically, but it's a non-conference game, um, which I still don't understand how that works. Um, but I, I think that's just an interesting schedule that IU is going to have, considering that they avoid a lot of the top-tier teams in the Big Ten, and they only play three games on the road against the top team in the Big Ten, um, and that's in Ann Arbor. Minnesota comes to Bloomington. Um, I just think overall there's a lot of room for IU to maybe surprise some people, but not necessarily because they're the better team in the Big Ten than Michigan and Minnesota, but more so that their schedule is a little more favorable compared to Michigan and Minnesota. What's interesting is that for the last couple of years, we've been talking about the Hoosiers fighting to win the Big Ten. They've been the most talented team in the Big Ten. They, you know, We think that this team should win the Big Ten, but... They haven't really had the schedule shake out in their way. You know, Michigan had a run last season that pushed them towards the top of the mm-hmm. conference and because they had a weak schedule. And mm-hmm. because the Big Ten doesn't play a true round robin, it basically leads to this whole thing where maybe a weaker schedule for one team ends up deciding the league. Obviously, you still have to go out and win the games, but it helps if you avoid certain teams. And it looks like the Hoosiers have a pretty favorable schedule this year. This team might not be as talented as last year's team or maybe the team from the year before, but 
they have just as good of a shot of winning the Big Ten because of their schedule. Yeah, and I think um, the key reason why people are looking at this team as maybe not being as good as it was last year, I think, has to do more so with pitching than any other part of the team. They do bring back seven of the position players from last year's starting lineup. And I think let's 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 start with with, with the position players. And I think let, let's start in the outfield. Um, I think Matt Gorski is probably the leader of this team. I would say just from a pure production standpoint um he's been picked as big 10 preseason player of the year multiple times i forget the exact outs i think perfect game in d1 baseball had him as a preseason big 10 player of the year um i mean he's a guy that a lot of people expect to be the the key guy of the offense on on this team we talked to him a bit at media day he's not really you know letting those awards bother him as i don't think any player would and frankly i think if we asked any player are you letting these awards get to you at all they would never say yes that's just a lot of players speak, um, and but I think overall Gorski's a guy that we're feeling pretty confident about in the outfield, and I think the same goes for Logan Kalitha. Yeah, those two—that's your dynamic duo right there. Those guys are hitting one-two at the top of your lineup. They're just so dynamic as players. They should both be All Big Ten contributors. Mm-hmm. Gorski should be the Big Ten Player of the Year. He certainly has the capability to win that award. I, I think that. If you have question marks anywhere on the diamond, it's not in center or left field. Yeah, without a doubt. I and mean, those are two guys that are going to be two of your top base dealers, too. So not only are they going to be producing uh, with the with the bat, but I think with Jeff Mercer, who we talk a lot about um, how much he wants to be aggressive on the base pass, um, those are two guys we're going to be seeing a lot of production from, not just with uh, batting average and RBIs and stats that you'll actually get at the plate. Um, the more interesting question, though, Austin, I know this is one that you're really focused on, is the right field spot. How do you think that's going to play out? I think it's going to be really interesting to watch who plays in right field for the first couple series because the one thing that this team really, really has is depth in the lineup. There are so many different players that could make an impact for the Hoosiers. For this right field spot, I'm looking at the trio of Sam Crail, Elijah Dunham, and Carter Bridge. Uh, Crail and Dunham, sophomores, they had pretty solid freshman years last year for the Hoosiers. Bridge comes over from Heartland Community Heartland Community College. Uh, he played really well last year, 353 average, 43 RBIs, 19 stolen bases. There's just a lot of talent here between these three. I think that right now I'm going to lean towards Crail as the front runner, but... In all honesty, I wouldn't be surprised to see all three play, even on opening weekend. Yeah, so IU, looking at the roster right now, has seven total outfielders on the team. Uh, I think two of those are guaranteed spots, but I think of the five guys that are left over, I wouldn't be surprised if they all see a decent amount of playing time. I don't I don't want to say significant playing time, but enough to actually have an impact on the season. Um, I think Sam Crail and Elijah Dunham have got to be the favorites for the right field spot, just based on how what they did at the Fall World Series and um, also the experience they've had at a, at a collegiate level. Because after them, I'm looking at a guy like 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 Grant Richardson, actually. I think he's a freshman that may boast one of the higher um, the higher potentials of the, of the freshman class. He was fantastic at the Fall World Series. I would say he was the best freshman overall there. And he's just in a spot right now where he may not be the guy at the beginning of the season, maybe if he gets some pinch hitting opportunities, some later game opportunities, comes in and gets something going for the offense or even makes a spark on defense, he may get some more time down the road. I think he may be the future. 
at right field being so young right now. Um, but he's a guy I really want to keep my eye on throughout the season. But I think overall, this competition is something to be excited about. I think, I mean, even if you look at a guy like Tyler Van Pelt, who I know you like, there's just, I mean, just a lot to look forward to, I think, overall. Um, but I think all five guys really could play. I mean, do you think that we could really have a seven different outfielders played this year? I wouldn't be surprised at all, especially if you see some of these guys slide into that DH spot every once in a while, too. I There are... That outfield group is very talented. Um, going back to Dunham, this summer he played in the New England Collegiate Baseball League for the Plymouth Pilgrims. He hit 301 with seven home runs and 24 RBIs. That's pretty good. In 41 games. I, he mm-hmm. played, I believe, left field and outfield as well as first base. So he's got a little bit of versatility to him. I wouldn't be surprised to see Elijah Dunham be a big contributor on this team. Yeah, I think, um, I could be mistaken here, but I think Sam Crail was the right field starter for one of the Fogel series teams. I don't remember which team he was that on. That sounds right. And I think Elijah Dunham was the starter for the other team in right field. I think just based on that, those have got to be your, your two favorites. But Grant Richardson hit a, hit, hit a home run. I mean, also, you know, for a lot of this, we've seen them play three games um, and three games that didn't count. Um, they've had a lot of practices throughout the winter, obviously, getting ready to go for the season here. So there's only so much we can really make judgments off of from the short amount that we've seen because obviously we haven't been in to practice every day. That's just that's just not a thing we can do. Um but I think then the outfield generally is something I don't think many people are worried about overall because, you know, once you make your decision of Sam Crail or Elijah Dunham, I don't think there's much to be worried about because if one screws up, then you got the other guy. Yeah. If both struggle, you got three more guys. Yeah, no, it's a really talented group and I think that you can throw any of the five guys after Gorski and Kalitha out there in right field, and you can feel confident about what you've got out in the outfield. Yeah, and I'm, so uh, with, with that, I think that I want to swing over to the infield spot where I think there's a little bit more uncertainty than we have in the outfield, maybe some more discussion to be had. I think really the infield you have uh, Jeremy Houston for sure, Sharpie, shortstop. Yes. Then what? Well, you've got Feynman behind the plate, Sharpie, that's good to go. He's your guy, definitely. Outside of those two, Matt Lloyd is going to play in some capacity. We just don't know where because he can play first, second, and third. So, and he pitches. And he does pitch, yes. He, he does a lot of things. I'm convinced he could probably play right field too. So maybe he starts in right field. Who knows? But... <laughs> Well, that would be an interesting turn of events for sure. Yeah, but uh, so Matt Lloyd is going to play in the infield probably in some capacity. We just don't know where. I would expect either third or first. I'm leaning towards first personally, but after Feynman, Houston, and Lloyd, there's a lot of question about who might be your second baseman, third baseman, Etc. You've got Justin Walker, Drew Ashley, and Cole Barr, who are three sophomores who played very well as freshmen last year. They they had their ups and their downs, but they all contributed to a team that was won 40 games last year. They weren't small fries. Yeah. Then you've got Cade Bunnell, who's got a lot of buzz coming in. He was a JUCO transfer last year. 
Um, and then Jake Scrine, too, who's a freshman, he played pretty well in summer ball. He's got a lot of height, too. I, I just I don't know how you make the decision here. So I don't envy Jeff Mercer at all. Yeah, I mean, certainly having options is really not a bad thing, especially for a first-year head coach at a Power 5 program. There's really – he can't go – I don't want to say he can't go wrong because, you know, if something doesn't work out, then obviously he went wrong. But – if it doesn't work out, then the, I mean, he doesn't really have an issue because he's got guys you can, you can just go to to change. I think that's that might be the key piece of this team. I think we're going to keep going back to as we look at this team throughout the season. I think we're going to keep saying the depth of this team, the depth of this team, the depth of this team. Yeah. Um, and I think that may be the reason why they are able to be a successful team this season. Maybe not. I mean, the top tier talent's there, right? And in Matt Gorski and Kalitha, Lloyd, um, you got Paulie Milton in the rotation. I'll talk about him later. But if this team's going to go anywhere, it's going to be because of the depth. And I agree. You, know, you can you can withstand injuries if they happen. Jeff Mercer, as you said, spot we don't want to be in. But that's why we're not in the spot. That's why we're toward. We are talking about it. Um, I think. I mean, also it's the same with the outfield. You have seven listed infielders on the roster. That doesn't even include Matt Lloyd, who's listed as, as a utility because he literally does everything. Um, and you got three more catchers. I don't think catchers are really much of an issue at all, as you said. Um, but I think of the infield spots, the one that intrigues me the most is second base. Um, at the Fall World Series, Justin Walker, I believe, played shortstop. Yeah, he did. Um, but that was just because of the way the roster shook out. Yeah. Uh, Drew Ashley played a lot of second base. Um, but I think Drew Ashley and Justin Walker are going to be the two guys I'm looking at for second base. I agree. Base. Mainly because I think we will keep going back here. Just uh, excuse me, Jeremy Houston is a little stronger defensively than Justin Walker. Mm-hmm. I think Walker has more of that, you know, that shortstop arm that you like. He, he's got a lot of that shortstop flair too. That yeah, you like. he also has like that uh, that longer, lankier yeah. build that you see in guys like Francisco Lindor at the professional yeah. level. Not to say that he is right. Francisco Lindor, but he's got that similar build, that athletic build that a lot of people like in the modern shortstop. Right. And honestly, I think Jeremy Houston has more of that second baseman build. The problem is I just think with the way this team is built, I just feel more comfortable with Houston at, second, yeah. at, at shortstop. No, Houston, Houston is yeah. a very good defensive shortstop. Yeah, I think that's something that Mercer should really just roll with. But at second base, um, the thing I keep going back to with, with Walker and Ashley is maybe Walker's a little bit more... Uh, just flashy defensively. He can make plays. I don't think Ashley can. Um, Ashley's kind of, I mean, I don't think Ashley made a single error in the Fall World Series. Walker made a couple, but there are just plays that Walker can make that Ashley can't. That said, Ashley was a much more dynamic threat on the base paths. Um, and I, I think um, he was kind of the guy that, when we were watching the Fall World Series, made it kind of click in our heads. Like, okay, this is different in terms of base running. He was really getting in pitchers' heads. Yes, he was. And Jeff Mercer, just knowing his style at this point, is, has to love that. And I think that may get Ashley in more than anything. Because, I, I mean, neither was particularly productive at the plate last year. Maybe Walker has a little bit of a higher ceiling, but Ashley's going to get in because of his ability to get in pitchers' heads. But. I, I think that Drew Ashley, from what I can tell, is almost a prototypical Jeff Mercer guy. Yeah, He, he fits the system really well. You've mentioned those two, and you've talked about them a lot. I think that those two are your second baseman and your third baseman. It's just a question of which one plays where. Sure. Um, and there are pros and cons either way. I I personally think that the the middle infield duo of Houston and Walker is very good. I think they, they've got chemistry. Um, I think that having that as your double play duo is very strong. So I would probably have Walker at second and Ashley at third. 
but you can honestly flip those two either way, and it might not make as much of a difference as you'd think. So I think with Houston and Walker, that double play duo um, sounds definitely intriguing. Um, but my thought, just to ask you, I mean, obviously I think the defensive aspect is maybe less important than the offensive when Marsh is figuring out his lineup. I mean, he's someone that cares about defense. I don't want to say, like, like you know, oh, you can go out and make five errors a game and you'll still play. It doesn't work that way. Um, but do you want – I definitely would say Walker has a stronger arm than Ashley does. Would you want that stronger arm over at third base? You That is one of the positives yeah. of Walker being over at third yeah. base. But I think that, honestly, Ashley played third base quite a bit last year, yeah. and he – played third base just fine, especially during the Luke Miller injury that you know he had to deal with. So I, I think that either one of them are serviceable at both positions. It honestly just comes down to Jeff Mercer's preference. Yeah. Um, but I think overall with the position players, no matter where you look, infield, outfield, um, you know, a, a source of, on the team told me, his sor- hashtag sources, um, told me that, uh, that they had a chance to be one of the better offenses in the country. That's exciting to hear. Um, and that comes from a lot of the scrimmages that have happened over the past few weeks. But then again, the more I thought about it, I wasn't too surprised by that. And the reason why I say that is because they bring back seven seven starters from last year from a team that was already pretty good offensively. Was it their strong suit? No, pitching was the strong suit of last year's team. But you know, when you bring guys back like that, and yes, there are technically more freshmen and sophomores on the team than juniors and seniors, but with the production that you have coming back offensively, you lose Sowers, you lose Miller, great players. That's no doubt about that. But you still got Gorsky, you still got Kalitha. Um, I mean, I don't think I'm worried at all about this offense at all. Yeah, no. Um, I don't know who your source is, but Ryan mm-hmm. Feynman said during media availability that this team has a chance to have a special lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that you know there's so many freshmen and sophomores, but I don't know if you can really these this sophomore class is very oh good. yeah that sophomore class came in as mostly true freshmen and they produced right away, which was really interesting to watch last year. You've got Cole Barr, Justin Walker, Drew Ashley, Elijah Dunham, Sam Crail. All of those guys came in and they were productive right away for the Hoosiers. They might be sophomores, but they might be a little more experienced, a little better than your average sophomores. Yeah, and and, and even you guys, you know, a lot of a lot of Donovan's a sophomore. Um, Tommy Summer, you didn't mention. I think we'll yes. talk about him more when we get to the pitching Definitely. staff. Definitely, he's a guy who I think will absolutely play this this year, if not getting a pretty consistent role in the rotation. Um, I mean, the sophomore class is one. Uh, just going through the roster here, um, uh, uh, Grant Sloan is technically sophomore eligibility. He's a pitcher transfer from Virginia. He throws gas. Um, I'm excited to see him out of the bullpen probably. Um, but just overall, sophomore class, something to really be excited about. Um, as I said earlier, there's 10 freshmen and 10 sophomores on this team out of a roster of 35. So the team generally is pretty young. Um I believe actually the senior class may be the smallest group out of the team. I could be wrong, but let me double check that. Uh, is one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six seniors. That's the smallest group out of the team. Uh, I think there's that makes it nine juniors because math. Uh, we are journalism majors here and uh, not math majors. There's a reason for that. Um, but so I think overall, just with that with that youth on the team, there's a lot to be excited about for not just this year, but the future of the program. Because a lot of these guys are going to play. We talked about the uh, about the the depth on this team. Just looking through the freshmen, uh, Richardson we talked about probably going to play. 
Um, Alex Franklin, we'll talk about him later. I think he was kind of an interesting addition to the team. Um, but, you know, Bloomington, Indiana guy, the fans are going to love that. Yes. Um, Tyler Van Pelt in the outfield, probably going to play at some point. Another uh, Bloomington High School another South Bloomington guy. Another Bloomington South guy. Uh, a lot of Panther pride. A lot on of this Panther pride roster. on this. Yeah, uh, Gabe Beerman, a guy, and it's going to be in the fr- in the rotation. I think we'll probably fight for a midweek spot. Um, Jake Scrine, a guy I've heard a lot of good things about. You talked about him earlier. So I mean, there's just so much talent on the youth part of this team. That also means that the seniors are going to have to play a role in getting these guys ready to go. Because I don't think there's a single freshman when you look at this right now. Despite there being ten of them, there's not one that I say, okay, you're going to play. I think next year there may be a few guys like that with uh, with Ethan Fakramba and uh, and uh, Brant Voth coming in, um, but that's not this year's team. But maybe they're not starting from day one, but they're going to play, um, and that's going to be a key part of this team this season. I want to move over to the pitching staff now because we talked so much about these position players and pitching is going to be important for this team because that may be the str- it was the strong suit last year. It's maybe the question mark this year with guys like Jonathan Stiver gone, uh, Tim Heron's gone, uh, BJ Sable's gone too. Is more I'm sure. That's I'm not coming to my head right now. Um, so you got Paulie Milto is I think your sharpie number one, uh, unquestioned leader of this pitching staff. Talk about can't, as the captain last year. I mean, do you have any worries about him at the top of the rotation? I have absolutely no worries about Paulie Milto. I'm more worried about what I'm going to have for dinner tonight than I am about Paulie Milto. <laughs> what are you going to have season. for dinner tonight? That's a great question. That's why I'm worried about it, Matt. <laughs> I, I don't know, honestly. I'm more concerned about that than I am about Paulie Milto's pitching mm-hmm. this season. He is an absolute rock. He will be very good for this team because he's been very good for this team for the last two years. Um, I think after Milto, I agree with you fully there. Milto was, you know, was a captain last year. He'll be ready to go. He he had a better ERA than St- than Stever, I'm pretty sure, last year. That's, was, uh, he was so definitely more definitely consistent. A better, definitely a better record, I, th- I think. He was definitely more consistent yeah. than John Stever last year. Stever had those ups and those downs, and he just had really bad luck. Yeah. Also, Stever did. Um, he had a couple games where he should have gotten an easy win, and he just couldn't get the run support. Very good player, and that's why he got taken in the fifth round yeah. by the Chicago White Sox, I believe. Yeah, the White Sox. Um, so, yeah. But Milto is a guy that's going to go out there, and every single time he's on the mound, he will give your team a chance to win, and that's all you can ask of a Friday starter. So Friday starter, I think without a doubt, easy, Milto, not worry about it. Um, I think the Saturday starter is almost a Sharpie. I'd be willing to write it in, how about erasable pen? Um, Tanner Gordon. Um, he is a guy that I've heard, I mean, he hasn't thrown a single pitch for IU yet in a game, but he's a guy I think a lot of people are going to be excited about this year. He, um, in the fall scrimmages, absolutely dominated Louisville. Um, and he's a guy of, you know, rack up strikeout numbers, throws gas also. Uh, I'm not really too worried about him either, despite him making a jump over to the Big Ten. Um, I think for Saturday starter, he's got to be your guy. Yeah, I think that Tanner Gordon is a guy that has a chance to have a special year. Um, He could be an all-Big Ten kind of pitcher. Um, You look at his numbers from last year at John A. Logan College, and it looks like video game numbers. (laughs) He he made 12 starts. He went 9-2. He pitched 70 innings. He had a 2.06 ERA 
and 104 strikeouts. I don't care if that's at Johnny Logan College. That's unbelievable. He had 104 strikeouts in 70 innings pitched. Mm. That's good. I don't feel like doing the math on that, but that's more than one that's, inning. That's <laughs> easily more than one in inning. <laughs> yes, that is correct. So I think that there's not a whole lot to worry about with Tanner Gordon. I think you slot him in on Saturdays, and he gives you a chance to win every Saturday. So right there, that 1-2 is very, very good. Yeah, And 1-2, I think, definitely is very good. Um, I agree with you. Definitely there. I'm not really worried about those two guys at all. The question, though, midweek and Sunday. Um, I think midweek – sorry, you know, let's uh, start with the Sunday guys because we'll be seeing them before we see the midway guys, midweek guys this season. Excuse me. For me, I still think it's Andrew Saul, Frank. I know we talked a lot about his inconsistencies in the past, but the the height the height of Saul Frank is a lot higher than a lot of these other guys on the staff. You may get more consistency with someone else on the staff, maybe like a Tommy Summer or maybe even a Gabe Bierman, the freshman. Um, but I just think I just can't get that Texas game out of my head with Saul Frank. If you can get him to be, you know, good Saul Frank more than bad Saul Frank, I think he's got to be your Sunday starter. Andrew Saul Frank is basically IU baseball Troy Williams. It's really cool. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> Andrew Saul Frank does both good things and bad things. Um, it, it's it's sometimes he is very very fun to watch. When Andrew Saul Frank has got it going. He can almost be unstoppable, but when he is not on his game, things can get ugly quickly. Um, hence the Troy Williams comparison, obviously. Um, I don't know if he's your Sunday starter just because of that inconsistency. He definitely has a high ceiling. His ceiling is very high, um, and he's shown that multiple times. He's had big games against really good teams but I I'm not sure if maybe maybe you go with a Cam Beecham a Tommy Summer because those guys are very good too they're not they don't have the ceiling that Saul Frank has but they are very consistent you know what you're going to get out of them more often than not so would you have Saul Frank as your midweek guy or would you just have him in the bullpen so Honestly, he pitched out of the bullpen some last year, and I thought that he showed that he could be effective as a middle reliever, a setup guy, etc. Um, when he doesn't have to worry about going out there and you know saving his energy for you know four or five innings, when Andrew Saulfrank can go out there and he can just let loose and just fire for an inning, he could be effective in that role. I think that he could continue to be effective in that role. If that's what Jeff Mercer and Justin Parker choose to ju- choose to do with him, sure. So then, turning over to the midweek starter, do you have a guy that's your favorite to pitch in that role? I think I would go with Tommy Summer at the moment. Um, I think that I'm just stuck on Saul Frank being in the bullpen, where you know his inconsistency has less of a chance to show up. I, I think that you pitch Beecham on Sundays, you pitch Summer. On your midweeks, maybe not, you know, maybe against Louisville or Kentucky. Maybe that's a spot where you throw Saul Frank out there to start a game. But um, I think that Summer is definitely a guy that has a prime opportunity to pitch on Tuesdays and or Wednesdays, Mondays, whatever. Um, 
I think that maybe that's where you get starts for some of those really talented freshmen that you were talking about earlier, like Bierman, like uh, some of the other guys like Braden Tucker, maybe. Um, just some very good young guys on this team, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them pitching on Tuesdays as well. Sure. So there's 18 overall pitchers I was counting while you were talking. That includes uh, Matt Lloyd as the listed as a utility. Not to, not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Of those 18 pitchers, how many do you think actually get a, get a, get a chance this season? Get a chance just to pitch, period. Just to pitch, at least an inning. <sighs> well, no, at least an inning is kind of not a lot. Let's say more like 5 to 10. Five to ten innings. Um, so Matt Lloyd, obviously, yeah. there's one. Grant Sloan, Gabe Bierman, Connor Manis, Austin Long, Paulie Milto. I'm starting to run out of. Okay, uh, <laughs> Kruger. Because this is actually just because the roster like with left-handed and right-handed pitchers in different spots. Yes, that's true. Good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you said eighteen. It's it's eighteen, including Lloyd. I mean, I'd say probably around ten to twelve. Maybe I, 13 would, to 14. I would say thirteen or fourteen of those guys will probably pitch this year. There, there, there won't be too many guys that just don't get an opportunity. I believe because there's just so much talent and so much depth among this pitching staff. Yeah, and I think um, overall with with the with the starting pitchers again, I think same with the infield. You can't really go wrong in the sense that. If one guy doesn't work out the way you'd hoped he would, you're fine because you still got other guys. Now, let's say none of them work, which I don't think happens, but that's theoretically a possibility. Um, I just don't see that happening. I think I think Mercer will at some point find his guy. Um, the question still remains who it is. I think it's harder to figure out with the pitching staff because of how many pitchers there are who will be that guy. That's why. I'm kind of excited to see who's going to pitch on Sunday against Memphis. I, we don't know right now who that's going to be. Um, I, I, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. I think personally it's going to end up being one of the older guys. Probably. Um, it's the question is which older guy. Uh, I mean, look at a guy like Tommy Summers, Saul Frank. Um, I mean, B-Jump maybe. It's got to be probably one of those just because I doubt he throws out a freshman in the first game of the, in the first Sunday game of the season. That said – Memphis would be a, a decent place to throw out a freshman um, just because it's early in the season. Again, it probably won't matter that much. You probably win the first two games of that series anyway. I mean, I think that's a series IU should be sweeping Memphis. Yeah, I, IU against Memphis and Noc- or, and Tennessee should be looking for sweeps in yeah. both weekends. I mean, I'd be happy with 5-1 and one after those first two yeah. series. Um, I mean, maybe if you're gonna lose a game to Tennessee, they're still an SEC team, as uh, IU as IDS reporter Jared Rigdon loves to point out to me, at all times. Um, but that said, starting rotation, you got guys. I don't think that's gonna be an issue overall. You'll find the right guy eventually. The bullpen, though, is where there should be actually excitement. I would say, um, whenever when 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 we were at media day two weeks ago. We asked about the starting pitching a lot to Mercer, to Matt Gorski, to Ryan Feynman. And what they said every single time was, you know, the starters are going to be good, but the bullpen's what we're excited about. Jeff Mercer had a quote um, at Media Day, I got to pull it up quickly, said, when you have a tough time, you call somebody you trust. He's got a lot of the guys you can trust out there. But who at the back end is the guy that you trust, Austin? Um, well, it. Depends on the situation, but obviously you trust Matt Lloyd and you trust Cal Kruger. I think that the best course would be to use those guys as co-closers, 
like they were used last year. Um, Matt Lloyd playing the field obviously could throw a wrench into when he pitches and when he doesn't. Um, there are a lot of different things that you can do with Matt Lloyd because there's a lot of different things that Matt Lloyd can do. Uh, it's just you want, I believe, to have him warmed up and ready to go as a pitcher. I know that he's out there playing the field, and he's made throws, and but it's not the same as warming up on the mound, being ready to get out there and go. Um, so I, I think that those are your co-closers and I think it entirely depends on whether or not you have enough time to get Matt Lloyd out to the bullpen to warm up during you know a half inning or whatever. Other than those two, though, uh, we talked about Grant Sloan earlier, and I think that he's a guy that could be a big bullpen contributor. Um, IU lost a guy in B.J. Sable last year. I believe that B.J. Sable actually might have been the most used guy out of the bullpen. He threw a lot of innings. So many innings from B.J. Sable last year, and it's kind of a big question as to who's going to replace him in that role. I think it might be Grant Sloan. Sure. Um, I think overall out of the bullpen, Matt Lloyd's got to be a guy that you got to look at the back end of the bullpen, uh, as you talked about. I think with Lloyd, if you're Mercer, do you consider just giving Lloyd maybe a day off every few days and then saying, like, hey, you're going to go in as and get a, get a six-out save to, to close up the game? So what's interesting, this is another one of those options. I said that you can do a lot of different things with Matt Lloyd. This is one of them. Maybe you have Matt Lloyd DH on a Friday, and he is designated, he's your DH, and he is going to pitch on Friday. And then he doesn't pitch the rest of the weekend, maybe. Maybe you you just figure out what day you want Matt Lloyd to pitch, and it's just like a pre-scheduled appearance, yeah. unless you really don't need him, and then you bump it back a day. Yeah. I mean, obviously not saying that he is Shohei Otani, but do you take a Shohei Otani-like approach with Matt Lloyd? Possibly. Maybe. There's a lot of different yeah. things to do. There's, I mean, there's. It's, I think that's a great problem to have. Like, I think. I mean, that, every problem they've had, I think, is a good problem to have. I think that might be the hardest decision that Jeff Mercer has to make going into the season. What do you do with Matt Lloyd? Yeah. And that's a lot because there, there are some hard decisions that have to make if you're Jeff Mercer. Yeah, I mean, again, as we keep saying, got a lot of good problems, and that for a first-year head coach. Really, is something that you'd like to have, so he can work in. I mean, Wright State, uh, Indiana, is not a small jump, um, and I, I expect there to be a little bit of growing pains, um, just because. I mean, you can't just throw in a new coach. I don't care how good the coach is, and expect from day one to be a national champion um, competing team. I don't even think with Chris Limonis, this team is competing for a national championship. Um, but Mercer's a guy that I think by the end of the year will be getting this team really rolling and why a lot of publications have had IU as kind of a sleeper team to get to Omaha. I know Baseball America, I believe, listed IU as one of three teams that could um, be one that kind of surprises people getting to Omaha. Um, But I think D1 Baseball also had them in like a Vanderbilt regional, which sounds absolutely terrible. Yeah, Um, um, (laughs) I think if you ask Hoosier fans how they feel about going down to Nashville for a regional, they'll have some uh, some flashbacks. Yeah, I don't know if that's one people necessarily want. Um, I don't really care how much of a competitor you are. I feel like you would, I mean, you'd like to knock off probably one of the top three teams in the country at that point. I'd rather like an Ann Arbor regional. That sounds a little nicer. Um... But that said, I think let's 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 kind of move into the first few series of the season. They're starting at Memphis and they go to Tennessee. Then 
Um, so the, well, let's let's just let's just start with those with those two. Um, that should be five and one. I think without much of a yeah, doubt there. Those those are not very tough opponents. I believe they were both sub one hundred RPI last year. Um, you have to win five of those games probably because if you don't. It, it might not be great for your uh, your RPI there. It might not be great for your tournament resume. Yeah. Um, I think what's going to be a, a common theme as we go through this season. Um, the first home game of the year, February 26th in Bloomington, a Tuesday at 4 p.m. against Cincinnati. That will probably be very cold. Oh, it's going to be so um, cold. I am thoroughly not looking forward to filming that game. Oh, it's, uh, it's going to be frigid. <laughs> oh, and they have a game the next day, 3 o'clock, against Butler, also in Bloomington. Um, another, another frigid, frigid game. another frigid game. Uh, those still those should be two more wins. That um, yeah, you you can't lose to Cincinnati and Butler. Cincinnati has had good teams in recent years. Um, they've come into Bloomington and given the Hoosiers a hard time. Um, so that might be that would definitely be the tougher of the two. You can't lose to Butler though. Yeah. Butler is not a great team in any sense of the word, from what I. Can tell, and it's also going to be an interesting. Just looking at some of the dates here, it's going to be an interesting test for the pitching staff early on. You have this weekend series against Memphis that should give you a sense of your weekend rotation generally. And you go into Tennessee, guys are going to be generally well rested because you don't have a game in between the Sunday Memphis game and the Friday Tennessee game. The question though is, then you have a Tuesday and Wednesday game immediately after Tennessee, so you get just the Monday off, and you're back in Bloomington. So that's going to be where we see some of these freshmen get their first chance, Definitely. I think. That could be a game where you know Gabe Beerman may get a chance to, to, to start. Maybe they'll even throw some of the freshman position players in at that point because they have one day's rest. Yeah, that's going to test their depth yeah, early. Which... Gonna, it's going to be five five games in six days. That's yes. not hard. I mean, sorry, that's not easy at all. Yeah, that is definitely not an easy thing to do. We've talked a lot about how much depth this team has, and that stretch is really going to prove it. Yeah, and I think just moving forward a couple more games from there, then it gets a little little tougher. You have the Coastal Carolina tournament against three teams that made the NCAA tournament last year. And it's called the Coastal Carolina tournament. It isn't really a tournament, but beyond the point. Um, Northeastern, UConn, Coastal Carolina, all in there. Northeastern uh, was a three-seed, I believe, last year, a team that a lot of people liked coming out of a small conference. Uh, UConn, a team that at least I personally thought should have hosted a regional Yeah, I last thought UConn year. should have hosted as well. Um, but they, they I think, are going to take a step back. I've seen them ranked in at least one preseason poll. I can't remember which one it was, but they were definitely ranked in one of them. Coastal Carolina is ranked in every preseason poll. Yes. They're going to be good. They're probably a bottom half of top 25, but they're a good team. I think one that I use. That's, that's going to be IU's first test. That, that is the first weekend where if you're not going to pay attention to the early games – you want to pay attention to what happens down in Conway because that's going to kind of give you – that's going to be a measuring stick for this Hoosier team. We're going to find out how good they may or may not be on that weekend. So, But if you're Jeff Mercer looking at that at that first kind of tough weekend of the season, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Coastal Carolina is the Sunday game. Do you save Pauly? That is a great question. You have to consider that just because Northeastern's not – Obviously not as strong as UConn. I, mean, I or think you Coastal may even Carolina. go with just a reverse weekend rotation that weekend. That might actually play well, just because that is the order in which you know you got Northeastern's going to be the easiest, yeah. then UConn, and then Coastal Carolina. You might want to flip 
but you don't want your guys to get out of their uh, out of their groove, yeah. out of their rhythm. That would be the only concern there. So if they just stick with you know the normal rotation, it'll be interesting to see how that Sunday starter plays against Coastal Carolina. Yeah, I mean, hey, that that may that may be your Andrew Solvrank against the in a against a good that's great true game. That one, I, that may be a chance for even that, either of you know one of the younger guys to get a you know really to get thrown into the fire if you get to that point. Cause that's so just a lot. I mean, baseball is a true grind. But with the depth that IU has, I think Jeff Mercer doesn't have to be just wearing his guys out in the non-conference. But those non-conference games are so crucial because, as we talked about earlier, IU's Big Ten schedule is one of the easier ones for the top top teams in the conference. Um, I was looking at Minnesota's non-conference the other day. That is brutal. So they will, if they can come out of that strong, I have complete faith they'll probably roll through the Big Ten. Um, IU's got to take two or three from them in Bloomington if they want to have any chance to win this conference, however. Uh, but beyond the, I mean, the Minnesota series in Bloomington maybe is the biggest weekend of the year for IU. But outside of that, the trip to Ann Arbor is the only other really tough stretch they have. I think they have to go to Illinois. Yes, they um, do. But that's probably, that's definitely going to be easier than both Michigan and Minnesota. Yeah. Um, but because of that, you got to rack up some of these non-conference wins. You've got to beat some of these teams that have the RPI yeah. to get the seeding that you want. Yeah, if if you want to be a two seed rather than a three seed, you have to perform well in Conway, and you have to go up to Safeco Field, and you have to perform well there too. So of the games against UConn, Coastal Carolina, Washington, and Oregon State, two of those teams obviously made the College World Series last year. One of them was the defending national champion. Um, only two of those teams are ranked in most preseason polls. That's Coastal Carolina and Oregon State. Of those four games, for IU to get the RPI that it would like to have to be a two seed, do you have to win it more than two of them? I don't know if you have to win more than two of them. I, I think that two is a good number mm-hmm. to try to win out of those games. If you win two, you're probably feeling pretty good. Is it safe to assume those two are going to be UConn and Washington? Possibly, yes. Do you, I mean, do you think that's enough for IU to get two seed if if they lose to both? Co- I mean, losing to Coastal and Conway and losing to Oregon State and Seattle, I don't think are bad losses. No, no, those are but pretty. Those are if there's such a thing as a good loss. Yeah, that's a good loss. But I mean, those are games. Would you like? Do you think IU needs to have one of those to be a two seed? I don't think they need to have it. I think it would be nice. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't think it's a need though. Do you think? Well, then following up on that. Do you think IU have any shot at hosting a regional? Would they have to, at minimum, win the Big Ten and win three of those four? Yes. I believe mm-hmm. that if you want to host a regional in Bloomington this year, you have to win the Big Ten, and you have to win three of those four between UConn, Coastal Carolina, Washington, and Oregon State. And I worry, just as a follow-up to that also, do you have a case kind of like UConn almost where you win your conference, but because your your schedule may not be the greatest inside of the conference? Because, I mean, I don't think the Big Ten gets any more than three teams in the tournament this year. Um, do you think that could hurt their chances of hosting a regional? Just because it's the Big Ten, do you have kind of that in if you win the Big Ten despite kind of an easier schedule? That, it, it might hurt a little bit. It might be a similar case, like you said. I, I think I agree with that. It's It's just tough because... You know, when you've got conference series against teams that just aren't good, like Penn State and Michigan State and Rutger, that's not going to help you really in any way. Like, it'll help you win the Big Ten. Yeah. It won't help your tournament resume in the least, even if you sweep. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and that said, we didn't even touch on, on uh, Louisville and Kentucky. Louisville, probably a consensus top 10 team. Um, Kentucky looks like they were snubbed last year at the yeah, NCAA they were tournament. Um, I probably think they may be snubbed a little bit out of these preseason rankings. I don't think I've seen them ranked once. Um, but still, they I'd probably have them as like the 10th team in the SEC, which is still pretty good. The SEC is good at baseball, There's nine ranked folks. teams in the yeah. SEC. Um, at least I would have nine ranked teams in the SEC. I think D1 baseball, which is kind of the the uh, the favorite rankings, has nine of them. Um, but I, I think just of those general non-conference games, and that even includes Purdue. I would say you you got to get some of those to yeah. No, you have to you have to beat Purdue because on other, that Wednesday. Because otherwise, your RPI looks you know beyond the Michigan, Illinois, and Minnesota. You've got you know two against Ball State, three against Evansville, three against Penn State. You've got four against Evansville. You got four. Oh wait, there's it's a, a double, double header. Double yeah, header. doubleheader on You're Saturday. Right. You're right. You've got four games against you. Well, you've got one. In Evansville on Friday, and then you've got three against Evansville and Bloomington on Saturday and Sunday. Can this team win 40 games? Yes. Last year's team won 40 games. I think that 40 is a good number to expect out of this team this year as well. I think that that's kind of a benchmark that you want to set. You want to break 40 wins. Do you think they will break 40 wins? That's a bit of a question there. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. The, The weaker Big Ten schedule, the weaker non-conference schedule will definitely help but in order to do that obviously you have to beat the teams you're supposed to beat um, which Indiana hasn't done all the time in recent years but once again new regime it's kind of a Indiana is an unknown quantity like we said at the start of this podcast yeah and that and that new regime will get its first chance on Friday evening in Memphis first season of the year for IU I think it's one they're going to expect it to sweep as we talked about earlier there is a lot to talk about with this team this season. I mean, Austin, do you have any kind of final thoughts looking ahead to the first se- the first series of the year? Um, I just think that it's good that baseball is finally back. I, I think that fans are really excited for this season, and there's a lot of reason to be excited for this season. New coach, some new faces. I think it could be a lot of fun this spring to be a Hoosier baseball fan. And that will do it for this edition of the Extra Base IUS TV's IU Baseball Podcast. We'll be back throughout the 2019 IU Baseball season discussing the latest news, all the games, and all the players throughout the year. Maybe even taking some Twitter questions. For Austin Matricardi, I am Matt Cohen. We will see you next time.